The economy is supposed to be really good if you look at the official numbers. According to the U.S. Labor Department, the unemployment rate was under 4% in July, which is a level that a lot of people used to consider full employment. Everybody who wants a job has one. Except not really. The system isn't working the way it's supposed to for working people. Here's what I mean. Typically in the past, when so many people have jobs, pay goes up. I mean, how else are you going to get people to work for you if everybody has a job? You gotta pay them more. But that's not happening, at least not anywhere near the level that it should be. The Labor Department reported last month that if you look at median weekly earnings and you factor in inflation, the typical worker is just treading water. And what about the future? Having a job and making a living are not the same thing. The cost of a four-year degree rose about 25% in the last decade, according to the College Board, to $34,740 a year. Meanwhile, student loan debt is exploding. So, wages flat. Traditional schooling, expensive. We haven't even talked about the cost of raising a family, if that's your thing. So what are you going to do if you're already in the, if you're not already in the job that you want to be doing for the rest of your life? So today, we're going to find the smart way to navigate all this, or we're gonna try getting the skills for a better job or higher pay without crushing your bank account and going deep into debt. Welcome to Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. I am John Fort at the NASDAQ Market Site in New York's Times Square, and joining me on the show today to help you make your plan here with me at the NASDAQ, Laura Papano is an education reporter who lives and breathes this stuff, writing in the New York Times, the Heckinger Report, to name a couple. And joining us from Denver, Rachel Carlson is co-founder and CEO of Guild Education, a company that helps employers offer education as a benefit to employees, kind of like healthcare. Clients include Walmart, Lowe's, Taco Bell, Chipotle. And finally, joining us from Cambridge, Massachusetts, Anant Agarwal is an MIT professor and CEO of edX, a free-to-learn platform offering courses in architecture, chemistry, communication, computer science, data analysis, and that's just going alphabetically to D. There, there are a lot more things that he offers as well. Welcome to all of you guys. The, the, the effort today is to help people to make a plan. And it's not just people who are getting ready to go to a traditional college or even you know, people who are dissatisfied with their current job. I mean, I get the feeling everybody sort of needs to keep learning something if we want to be secure. Absolutely. The, the future is upskilling. Um, you may have one set of skills, but the, the world is changing. I mean, if you look at um, technology, I mean, most of the the technology that's being taught is being taught online because there aren't a whole lot of colleges offering uh, courses on driverless cars. I mean, hmm. depending on what you're interested in and your interests may change as you learn more, as you experience more. So we're all in this game. We all have to upskill and retrain ourselves. Laura, I feel like as a Gen Xer, when I was growing up, I don't know if anybody explicitly told me this, but the feeling was if you're in a job and you do a really good job, you'll get a raise or you'll get a promotion. You'll end up getting paid more. That's not happening now. So how much does education fit in to how people are gonna end up getting paid more? And what should people think of when they think of what education is along those lines? Right, so education is one of those words that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. I mean, there is a population, and it's actually smaller than it used to be, of those traditional age students who would go to college and be in a residential college for four years and basically you know, learn, learn some skills and get a credential and go out into the world and use it. 
increasingly that experience is about growing up hmm. and then getting ready to then go get more skills. So that, that and not everyone can afford to spend $60,000 a year and take four years to get a degree. Sure. And some degrees, as we hear a lot these days, are not worth as much as they used to be worth. So, Rachel Carlson, um, joining us from Denver, CEO of Guild Education. I had the pleasure of sitting down with you uh, about a year ago uh, for the podcast, the Fort Knox podcast, talking about some of these issues. You've done some interesting things since then. You're not just focusing on community colleges, four-year college education. Tell me about the, the types of skills that people need in this economy, maybe not the traditional four-year college type upskilling that we've been trained to think of. Yeah, so a lot of our work, primarily with Fortune 500 companies and their frontline workforce, is thinking about how do we help employees figure out what they need to advance, whether that's with the company they're at today or another company in the future. And um, that spans the gamut from high school completion, uh, which we work on all the time, all the way through master's degrees, credentials, and programs with edX, who we partner with. And I think to your question about you know how does an employee figure out what they need, what we're finding is that we've really got to get rid of the false choice between workforce development, meaning learn this skill, learn this piece in order to move up in your job, and a bachelor's degree. And instead say, how do we make it all stackable where any learner can say, hey, I've learned this piece on the job, I've learned this piece through an apprenticeship, I've learned this piece in a college classroom, and that amounts to the set of skills I need to pursue the career of my dreams. So Rachel, break it down for me. If I'm trying to figure out for my job, I'm a business journalist, I'm an anchor, I'm trying to figure out what skills uh, will make me more marketable, more valuable to this organization or another one. Uh, how do I do that? How do you coach people in how to isolate the specific skills that they're going to need to add value? A couple different ways. One, we work with leading institutions who are thinking about competencies, okay. not classes. So moving away from saying, hey, this person took that class, and instead, hey, they've mastered this competency, so maybe that's critical writing. And rather than checking, oh, they took critical writing class, instead saying, show me a project. Show me some work that you've done where you've demonstrated a critical writing skill. Um, we're also always looking at data sources like the Department of Labor, organizations like Burning Glass, and then talking to our partners like edX and other universities to say, what are we seeing and how do we connect what employers need directly back to what universities and learning providers so, as well as experiences can offer? So Rachel, are you um, kind of relying on certifications or mini degrees or badges, how are you kind of, what's holding, um, what is the container for the skills? What do you think, I mean, what do you use, what are you hearing from employers and what do you see it evolving into? The container is a unique question, and I think we think about it as a staircase. Um, so I'll run with that analogy. Um, we think about it as helping a student understand what do they need to learn to move up, and then to think about where does the staircase end, so that you can take small steps along the way. So that might be taking a class or two through a partner like edX, and then doing a training on the job, earning college credit for that training, which is something that we're leading the country in and helping companies articulate their trainings for college credit. And then that might 
amount to an associate's degree, a bachelor's degree, or it might amount to a promotion and the student saying, okay, I'm going to sit here in this promotion for a while and I'm not going to pursue the associate's or bachelor's, but really creating options and eliminating the notion that they have to choose between those two things and instead bringing them together on the staircase. Yeah, I think Anant made the point to me uh, probably a year ago. He said education is a combination of parts rather than a sum. And I think that that's a really interesting way of thinking about it. Well, since you mentioned him, let's hear from you on this question as well. Uh, when it comes to assessing what skills an individual needs, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary from person to person. I was just looking at the edX site, uh, you know, the Intro to Computer Science course versus, you know, the, the graphic design courses that you have available. There are lots of things out there, but how do I determine, A, what kinds of courses I'm qualified to take and do well in, and then B, which courses are going to help me on the particular track that I'm on? You know, as, uh, uh, as the whole workplace gets transformed because of this amazing skills transformation that's taking place, there's two or three trends that are common across all of these industries, and that's what you need to keep your eye on. Some of the trends are uh, you know, digitization, automation, artificial intelligence, uh, data analytics, computer science. These are some of the common trends that are shaping entire industries. And so if you're looking to find out what you need to learn, what skills you need to get in order to upskill or reskill to meet this major skills transformation happening in the workplace, just look to these programs. So you know, we have new credentials, uh, these new containers that are small steps along the, uh, the wonderful analogy that uh, Rachel talked about, the steps along a journey. Instead of looking for full degrees, uh, you could take baby steps. You could take micromasters on edX, or you could take professional certificate. These are smaller steps than a full degree in topics like data science hmm. or artificial intelligence or things like machine learning and robotics. These entire fields are totally transforming complete industries. And whether you're in journalism or economics or healthcare or even uh, technology, some of these newer skills are critical to the kinds of uh, jobs that will be open in the future. And so look for things like data science. How does analytics apply to your fields? Right. And if you come to a site like edX, and there are many other sites, and you go to the search bar, and you just type in analytics or data science or machine learning, and you will see a number of courses or programs like professional certificate programs where for a very affordable price of a few hundred dollars, you could get this new micro-credential and look for the topics and areas that are close to your field. Right. Uh, I want to button up this strategy topic, Laura. Uh, one of the traditional ways that people would figure out what skills they need is by looking at maybe an organization that they admire, maybe the organization they're in, maybe not. Find a mentor or you know, officially somebody they can sit down with or somebody they can watch and figure out, okay, how did they get there? Right. To, to what right. degree in this era of technology does plain old shoe leather in-person meeting and investigating still play a role in figuring out what skills you need to gather? I actually think it's huge. I think, um, you know, even somebody who is 10 or 20 years old ahead of you in a career um, may have made a different path, but anyone okay, who's sure. accomplished something in a career has insights about how it's evolving. And talking with people is incredibly, incredibly helpful. I can tell you, I do that. My husband does that. I mean, it's, it, it is the job of all of us who are in careers to help the people behind us figure it out. 
You well, know, this is Fort, uh, I just want to reset for a minute here. This is Fort Knox. We are talking about how to get paid boosting skills without going break, broke. And we've been talking about the strategy of it. I want to get into some of the tactics. And we've got uh, some people with us here who are very ready to help people with exactly how to gain those skills. Uh, Anand Agarwal from edX. I want to go to you for this one. Talk about a bit, and you were starting to, the range of potential options available to people from, for, for upskilling. I mean, uh, it seems like on the easy access level, there are things like lynda.com, which I believe LinkedIn bought, where you can learn to get better at Photoshop or just you know, Microsoft Word or Excel even. And then you can go deeper into getting actual uh, college credit, courses, uh, certifications, et cetera. Talk about where edX fits in and how a person determines which type of course they might need. You know, there's a huge range of options available to you today at an incredibly um, affordable cost from completely free all the way to a few hundred dollars for a course or even for a, a radical new and valuable micro-credential like a micro-masters, for example, a micro-masters in manufacturing from What's a micro-masters? Uh, MIT. So the, so the kinds of credentials and the kinds of categories that you have available are incredible. So I'll give you some examples. You could take an individual course that you might complete in, say, four weeks. In fact, you could learn Excel and how to use Excel for data analysis from Microsoft on edX. Or you could learn basic Python, introductory Python from Georgia Tech on edX. Then let's say you want a professional certificate. Uh, let's say you want a professional certificate in a blockchain and Bitcoin. Everybody wants to learn about cryptocurrencies and blockchain today. Hmm. You can earn a professional certificate in blockchain taught by none other than uh, Berkeley and earn a professional certificate in that. And it's a few hundred dollars um, if you want to get the certificate. And it's completely online and you can learn at your own pace. Then the next level credential is a MicroMasters. A MicroMasters is about 25% to 50% of a master's degree. And you can earn that for about $1,000. And the beauty of that is if you pass that and you get admission into the university, it will count for credit uh -huh. towards a master's should you want to go towards a master's. So for example, you can take AI MicroMasters from Columbia on edX, or you could do a MicroMasters in data science from University of California, San Diego on edX, or marketing okay. analytics, or one of 50 other MicroMasters. And now we also offer full online degrees. Just last week, we announced an online master's degree in cybersecurity with Georgia Tech for $9,900. And so you have a range of options from a single course Quite a to an entire degree, and you can learn indeed. in steps as you go along. Uh, Rachel, I, I want to come to you with this question from a viewer. Jason Cannon asks, would your panel recommend employees to pay for credentials themselves? or look for their organization to pay, um, fits right in with what Guild Education does. What are the circumstances in which it might make sense to not expect or wait for an organization to pay for that credential um, versus, versus expecting them to? Sure, so we're seeing an amazing trend where most innovative companies are saying this ought to be a part of the total rewards package. We ought to be paying for our employees to receive education the same way we offer a healthcare benefit or think about any other component of a total rewards. And um, we're finding that companies are realizing that makes sense not just to upskill your employee into the job that's open today at the company, but it even makes sense if you're going to let someone work for you for three, four, five years and hmm. then ultimately 
allow them to earn an education that's for their next job at another company. And, and that's because the retention is so meaningful to companies in this tight employment market, which you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation. And so we're finding that nearly all of the, what I'll call innovative or thoughtful Fortune 500 companies are reevaluating their education benefits plans and realizing this is the new normal. The same way that healthcare benefits, uh, paid time off, you name it, have become standards of a good place to work. Education benefits are the next component of a good place to work. And how flexible are you finding employers in terms of what courses, what credentials, what skills the person wants to acquire? That's a great question. Um, innovative companies like Disney, who launched their program yesterday, are saying, we want to let our employees have total choice. And if that means they advance within our company quickly, that's fantastic. And they know what their openings are in roles like people management, process management, you name it. But they're also totally comfortable with saying, hey, we'd be happy to retain you, have you work for us for three, four, five years, and then move on and take a job somewhere else. And, and that works because there's a business case for it. We've proven that the retention benefit is such that it works for the companies to encourage that, but also because they want to be fantastic places to work for employees. And this isn't the economy anymore where people are expected to work at one company for 40 years. Many companies are realizing they ought to offer benefits that incent their employees to stay for four or five years and then support them as they move on to the next step in their career journey. Laura, I, I, I ride the train to work in the morning and I'm often seeing in public transit these advertisements for for-profit colleges. Yes. And it always feels to me like a scam come on. I shouldn't say always. Usually it feels to me that way. Am I, am I right in that feeling about most of the organizations that would come to you in a subway ad? And for, for that population that is looking to get paid more money, advance, how should they think about that category yeah. of education along with these MOOCs? and you know, online courses that they can take for credit? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. It's a very messy environment in terms of value and you know, figuring out if something is a good use of your time and your money. I mean, some of those for-profits ended up being terrible scams, leaving people high and dry, costing a fortune. Um, I think part of the challenge is that it is very hard to discern, which is why edX has been successful, why 2U has been successful, why Coursera, because there, there's a name brand piece here. Mm. Um, if you're getting your degree from, uh, you know, a, a degree from Stanford in technology, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to fly. It's going to be good. But on the, on the other side, that is also making it more expensive. I mean, Anand mentioned the $9,000 degree. I know, I, I, I know that some of these courses, I think there's a pen engineering course that costs $25,000. So it's, mm. an, it's, a, it's a big investment of time and money and, 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 and time. Let me say time again, because just if a course is free doesn't mean it doesn't cost you something to do it. It <laughs> yeah, takes absolutely. a, a lot of effort and time, and you have to be ready to put that in. Uh, um, yeah, John, absolutely. If I Rachel, could add, go ahead. Yeah. The, the challenge you named is, and what uh, Laura and Anant were speaking about is really poignant, especially for the bachelor's degree holders or what I'll call the folks in the white-collar economy, where there's an even more poignant issue and where your subway ads are targeting folks are the learners who don't even know how to choose between the variety of nonprofit and for-profit bachelor's degree programs. They're not talking about Stanford. They're talking about X community college, 
Y open access four-year university, and Z for-profit. And so where we found that leading institutions and employers can add a huge value is helping their employees who didn't have parents who go to college, who don't know the difference between one program or another to actually sort through that. And, and to Laura's point, there really are three barriers for frontline Americans in figuring out how to go back to school. One is money, which many employers are taking off the table. Two is time, which Laura just mentioned. That's a huge one, figuring out how do they fit it into their daily lives. But three is choice figuring out how to make a smart choice. And many low and middle income Americans have had family members who feel scammed by a for-profit mm. program that didn't deliver. So mm -hmm. we believe a great role that Guild and the employers we work with can play is helping frontline Americans, the 64 million folks who haven't gone to college yet or earned a higher ed credential, figure out what are the valuable schools that will give them skills for the future and what's worth their time and money. So and, you Rachel. Know, and in fact, with the, uh, you know, um, both Rachel and Laura talked about choice. Uh, today, learners have choices. Um, edX is a nonprofit founded by MIT and Harvard, and uh, we have 17 million learners from every single country, uh, 140 institutional partners, and these are all names that you've grown up with, uh, MIT, Harvard, Oxford, Berkeley, Columbia, companies like uh, Microsoft and IBM and Linux Foundation that are offering the courses on our nonprofit platform. And so today, we have choices and enable very affordable options that learners can take from a nonprofit institution where our focus is how do we help people, working with uh, amazing partners like Guild and others who can bring a lot of the support services uh, into play here. But what I'd, what I'd also argue is that we're in a little bit of a situation like healthcare, meaning those people who know how to access healthcare and know where to go and which doctors and which specialists to see are at a huge advantage. So there's a knowledge gap here um, that Rachel very astutely pointed out. And I know that there's a, there's a nonprofit credential engine pro, um, project underway. And what is that? What's a nonprofit? Credential engine. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a group that's, that has come together and created kind of, um, they're hoping, they've, they've created kind of uh, software tools um, or basic tools so that software in, inventive people can create um, basically the Expedia or the TripAdvisor of education. Oh, so, so first would, do this, then this, then this, and then you'll exactly. get the credential. Or, you know, you, wanted, you want this, so these are the choices. You know, mm -hmm. you want to fly from here to here, you want to go from here to here. These Here's are the how ways much it you costs, can do it. here are the people here are the who options. offer it. And it even oh. has a geographic component. Um, it's still very, very early in its development. Mm -hmm. But I think, I mean, it's, it, we need that level of organization if people without kind of inside knowledge are going to be able to access the skills and the upskilling and the credentials they need. This is Fort Knox. Laura, we are talking about how to get pay-boosting skills without going broke. And I want to be sure to help people think about how to think about this, the mindset. And I'll go to you first on this one. Um, how much should people budget for education, I mean, we're used to budgeting mm -hmm. for vacations. We're used to budgeting for, I mean, the, the traditional types of education, you know, uh, public school expenses, going to college perhaps. But if you're not planning to officially go back to school, but you know you have to keep your skills up, how much is that gonna cost? Talk about the range. You know, what's interesting is that uh, in my generation and, and previous generations, you did not budget for education post-college. You went to college at the age of 18 for four or five years, 
and then you work for the rest of your life. Right. But today, because of the skills transformation happening in industry, we have to move to a continuous lifelong learning model where all of us need to be learning throughout life, picking up new skills as the skills transformation happens in industry, which means that budgeting for learning becomes a very important part of what you need to budget for. In addition to uh, your kids' colleges, now you have to budget for your own schooling. So how much is However, that going to cost me? I, I guess right off the bat, I need to be sure to have a, a, a computer that's recent enough to run decent software, maybe do video conferencing. I need the broadband connection, I suppose, mm -hmm. to, to be able to participate in that. But l let's talk about what those costs really are. So the costs are, uh, you know, uh, with online education, you know, at edX or, or a few other places, uh, we offer it through mobile as well. So if you have a smartphone and a wow. data plan, yeah. uh, you can be learning completely on mo mobile and acquiring all these amazing credentials. So I don't think technology or a data access tends to a barrier for most people. Either a laptop or a mobile connection is good enough. Uh, and you don't need to get full degrees. If you want a full degree, you can go get an MBA or a professional master's or even a full undergraduate degree, and oftentimes that'll cost you fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000. However, as a continuous lifelong learner, let's say you already have a bachelor's, you could earn your micro master's for about $1,000 which is about one or 2% of the cost of a, of a full master's degree. And we also provide financial aid. So if, you are, if your income is not that high, uh, we'll give you financial aid as well. And so you have amazing options available to you today that in a very, very low cost manner, you could learn. So I think if you budget a few thousand dollars, not just for each year, but a few thousand dollars for over five years or 10 years, you could be upskilling with these new kinds of credential credentials, mm -hmm. and so you don't need right. a lot of money to do this anymore. Rachel, should, should people be hunting for employers or maybe taking a job based on the level of education assistance that they offer? Uh, how different are companies? Maybe who's the most ambitious um, uh, client that you guys have as far as what they're willing to offer? You mentioned Disney as of yesterday. I didn't know about that one. I guess we'll add that to your graphic. But um, what should people expect and, and can they use that as leverage in a job hunt? Should they? Yeah, absolutely. So we found that companies that reform their education benefits plans and work with us, uh, typically we'll see anywhere from a 15 to 20% increase in their job applications month over mm -hmm. month. So the employees of America are responding and saying, I want to work somewhere that offers this. It's now uh, education benefits are ranked the number three sought after benefit uh, at any company when you pull millennials. Many millennials understand what Anant was talking about in terms of a lifelong learning economy, and they know that if they go somewhere to work, they want to know that they can take paid vacation, that they can have access to health care benefits, and that they can have funding for education. And we're seeing that across the board. Um, so that, that's a big part. And then to your earlier question, uh, opportunity cost is the big part that you have to help people navigate. And where we play a big role and where I think this is headed in the future economy, as I not mentioned, content is getting much cheaper, but support is still required. And everybody used to say content is king, but now the reality is support is queen. And if you're going to help somebody go back to school, you need to provide them the support services to do so. And that's where we at Guild play a role is helping every company help their employees advance in their education in a really affordable way from a pure financial cost perspective, but also from a savvy way in terms of those opportunity costs. Laura, help us bring this home. For, for the people out there who might feel stuck in their mm. current job or might want to start a whole new career, in this day and age, what's the 
I guess, most practical, most savvy, most reasonable way to embark on that. I, I feel like it used to be, well, maybe you go to law school or maybe you go get your MBA. Mm -hmm. but, but now there are some different options. So what's the, what's the smart way to embark on that journey? Well, I think being self-aware and self-reflective, number one. You have, to, you have to really think about what, you know, break it down. What do I enjoy doing? What matters to me? What do I care about? And millennials want to work in places that care about what they care about. So you really have to have that self-examination. And then you have to figure out what do I need in order to do that job. And I know we've been talking a lot about tech here, but you know the whole world is not about technology. Technology pervades everything, but there are other kinds of work out there. Um, there's work in theater, there's work in arts, there's work in, you know, in, in chefdom and there, there's so many different careers out there yeah. and the the online universe is uniquely set up to really allow people who are interested in technological careers to take off and explore that it's a little bit harder if you're not doing that okay so you know one of the important things here is that uh, soft skills are extremely important as well i know we focused a lot on kind of the techie skills transformation but as we worked with burning glass and others we are finding that employers are looking for soft skills, and which is one reason why we launched a professional certificate in soft skills, which is critical thinking, communications, writing, speaking, collaboration, mm. and teamwork. And these are extremely important. And if you look at the people that are succeeding in the workplace, are those that have very strong soft skills. Absolutely. So let's not forget yeah. uh, those as well. <laughs> a very important one to keep in mind. Anand, thank you so much for joining us. Also, Rachel Carlson and Laura Papano here with thank me you. at the NASDAQ. This has been Fort Knox. Hopefully, you got some insight into how to either keep your career afloat, launch a new one, do it all, get some more skills without breaking the bank. Uh, thanks for being with us here from the NASDAQ Market Site. See you next time. Thanks again to my guests. I'm John Ford from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, rich ideas and powerful people. Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Check out the reviews on iTunes. Leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X dot com slash YouTube. As a matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now, see video of this conversation, or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV or Roku and find Fort Knox in the featured area. And if that's not enough, follow me, John Fort, on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Weigh in on the issues we discussed on Fort Knox. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or FortKnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear.